there are still people who appreciate city services. This week, Mac's out of the office, so we're actually allowed to have fun. We'll talk about parking revenue, budget discussions. Plus, we'll cover how child-friendly Edmonton is and why Tristan Hooper was ill-advised in his 12-hour tweeting session this week. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm not Mac. And we're we're Speaking speaking municipally. Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 17. Mac has abandoned us this week. Uh, He told me to tell you the real reason why he was gone. I was going to make some joke about him working at the Edmonton Sun now. He's actually in Toronto at a conference talking about the future of journalism. And I guess that's on brand for a Taproot podcast. But long story short, he's not here. So I'm joined with a guest co-host this week. Kirsten Goa, welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here. So Kirsten Goa, she's a community organizer. She's an activist, former candidate in 2017 municipal election, right? Indeed. Yeah. So I also ran in that election and did very poorly. You did less poorly. <laughs> I I did pretty well. I um, I had waffled for a long time about running and in, I decided not to run about a year out and then uh, four months out, I decided that I would kick myself forever if I didn't do it. And so I did it and uh, came a strong second. Yeah, that was in Ward 8 versus Ben Henderson, correct? Yes. For people who aren't familiar with you as a person, as an activist, what were you running on? What was your dream for Edmonton? Um, so there's a couple things. Uh, first of all, I co-chaired the city's public engagement initiative for two years, and I've been very involved in community organizing for a long time. And I think that there's a lot of potential for having communities really start to have better conversations about how we grow and change as a city. Um, but we need to scaffold community. We need to support community and how to do that work well. Um, public engagement isn't just about a collection of um, opinions, often opinions that are heartfelt, but not necessarily evidence-based. But we need to move to the heart of why people care about these things before we can get to the evidence a lot of the time. And so I was interested in seeing the work of the um, engagement initiative be able to get down into community in that way. Um, I also started a lot of my municipal activism around land use planning up in the Northeast um, 10 years ago. And I'm really concerned about the way we grow as a city. Um, It's unsustainable economically, as we're seeing. It's unsustainable environmentally um, and socially. I have five kids, which is a lot of kids. And um, I really want to see a city that's thriving for them as we go through significant changes related to climate change, et cetera. So shifting how we grow, but doing that in a way that brings community along instead of people feeling blindsided by it was another piece that I was really interested in. So all of that seems pretty on brand for the podcast uh. (laughs) stuff. Mac, of course, also was a member of the Council Initiative on Public Engagement, so you'll fit right in. Um, You thought, I forgot, dear listener, but I didn't forget about the rapid fire segment, and we'll get right into it. Uh, Unfortunately, Mac's all gone, so you're going to hear my dulcet tones for all three of them. Uh, The funicular is out of service again, this time until mid-December for the addition of a heating loop on the door and a glass roof over the lower doors to help combat the pesky issue of not working in low temperatures. While some infrastructure and services companies strive for five nines of uptime, that's 99.999% reliability, the fully automated elevator on an angle that is closed for 10 hours each day, plus additional regular maintenance days, is perfectly content to shut down for three weeks to install a heat dish and a piece of glass. Uh, We've already missed the boat on two nines of uptime, but if we try really hard, we might be able to hit one nine of uptime (laughs) next year. For those paying attention, that's 33 operational days in a year. We're striving for good things in the city of Edmonton. 
Uh, the city has also built up a backlog of 104,000 photo radar tickets since they were directed to stop mailing them out on September 20th due to the postal strike. Uh, after Knickers, the extremely large Australian cow, made the rounds <laughs> on the internet this week, it's clear that the Canadian Union of Postal Workers is simply trying to outdo them and create an even larger cow. A cash cow. <laughs> I really appreciate someone laughing at my jokes each week. Mac never laughs, and I feel a little bit offended each week. Uh, the U of A is proposing to increase many of its parking infraction fees and even wants to explore booting cars as an enforcement option. Under further exploration, I'm sure they'll realize that their main clientele, students, already feel more than sufficiently trapped by their substantial annual payments for a piece of paper with an ever-diminishing value while they watch housing and living costs skyrocket, obliterating any hopes, dreams, or ambitions they might have ever had of owning an avocado. But sure, put a boot on that 2001 Pontiac Sunfire. You do you, U of A. Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network powered by ATB. And this episode is brought to you by Park Power, a provider of electricity and natural gas in Alberta that offers low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. In Alberta, you get to choose who you buy your energy from. Thanks, Ralphie. If you choose Park Power, your money stays here. Park Power shares its profits with local non-for-profits that are working to make a difference in their communities. Shopping local is very important to Park Power, so fits in with ATB and the Alberta Podcast Network. Learn more at parkpower.ca. Kirsten, we're ready to have some interaction with you. I feel like I've been hogging the mic. You were on a panel this week about child-friendly Edmonton, and you mentioned you had five of those, so I think you're uniquely qualified among your extensive other qualifications that you mentioned at the top of the show to talk about this. So what happened? So this, um, the city has a child-friendly initiative, which is about trying to make Edmonton a more child-friendly city. The mayor ran um, during the last election with uh, trying to make it a great place for children and families to live. Um, and that's been a focus for him as well. And so this initiative has been around actually a long time, but they uh, decided to bring in an expert, uh, Tim Gill from the UK, who's been focusing his research on what makes a city child friendly. And so he's focused on risky play, first of all, which of course used to just be play, which was that you threw your kids out the front door and sent them to the woodlot and they built forts all, all day. And, and then sometimes, you know, broken arm or something, but the fact that now that's sometimes considered negligent parenting, which it's not, but it's unusual. Really also, he's been doing a lot of research traveling around the world, studying different cities and what makes them more or less child friendly and how cities have started taking ownership of being more child friendly because they need kids in them in order to be sustainable. And it was kind of cool because a lot of the issues we talk about in terms of um, connectivity, density, like a compact city, a green city, making sure that you can walk and bike and have safe infrastructure. Those are all the things that also make a city child-friendly. Often child-friendly focuses on playgrounds for three to 10-year-olds. Um, but if a kid can't get to the park um, or to other destinations or a parent has to or a caregiver has to always be with them, um, it's not really very child-friendly. And it's really about the connectivity that actually often makes a city more e easier for children to explore on their own and more independent. And that's how they learn how to be adults. I naturally have my own sort of biases, as you mentioned during the thing. Of 
course, I've railed against playground zones and school zones as a ridiculous concept because why is the kid protected for the 300 meters in front of the playground? Why isn't he protected on the way to the playground? Keeping that in mind, though, how did your discussion go? How does Edmonton stack up versus other North American or world cities? So I think, I mean, what is exciting is we are talking about it a lot. We have... um Tim offered sort of a recipe of things that you need to work on. And the first one is having um, either a municipal officer, like somebody who works within the city on the bureaucratic side, who's a champion of this, or also a politician who's a champion of this. And we have Bev Esslinger and Aaron Paquette on council who are sponsors of this initiative and have been spending a fair bit of time on that. Um, and an entire group of people in administration working on it. The focus so far has really been about trying to make downtown uh, more child friendly, which I think is an important initiative in terms of bringing kids back into the core. But we have a long way to go to get to really make our child city more child friendly. And one of the challenges is that because we're such a young city, we built primarily around the car and we built primarily suburbs or even our core and mature neighborhoods, which are you know, five minutes from downtown, are, we're still designed like suburbs. So one of my uh, sons, when I asked him what made a city child friendly, talked about how he loved our neighborhood in Strathcona because it's, and he described how he could walk all sorts of places and how there were all these amenities and they can get around. And he compared this, his, he was talking with a friend of his who lives not far away in Holyrood, which is a wonderful neighborhood, but how much they more they struggled in that neighborhood to get around and that there were fewer places to go fundamentally one's a grid and the other one's loops and cul-de-sacs and um, we've continued to build our city for 50 years that way one of the conversations on the panel was do we just give up on the suburbs and yes (laughs) well that was actually one of the panelists answers Um, but that's where all our kids live and you know we have a third of all kindergartners going to school outside the hen day Yeah, it's a really big problem, especially because we've just reallocated basically all of our school infrastructure to these new suburbs. We've closed down mature schools and we've built mega schools in the suburbs. We can't just cut it off. No. And so so how do you retrofit those communities um, to make them more child friendly? And that's a that's a tall order. But I think if we're not willing to um, explore that, then we're kind of hooped as a city. But we also need to be bringing families back into our mature neighborhoods. And I mean, there's there, the recipe for that really is a combination of having those public realm spaces, having the services for kids like the schools um, and grocery stores and that sort of thing, which we have in lots of these neighborhoods. But the other one, of course, is housing. And that's another area that yeah, I affordability. Love. We're recording in Hazeldean in my 1947 single family home. That is wholly more expensive than pretty good homes, multifamily dwellings elsewhere in the city. Don Iveson, you mentioned he's got child friendliness in Edmonton as a plank in his platform. Has that been a real benefit for Edmonton child friendliness? Without putting political words into your mouth, um, I will say from my perspective, we've seen Don campaigning a lot on child friendliness and most of what we've seen out of that is things like the under 12 can ride free with an adult on the bus which when the bus doesn't come on time and doesn't get you to where you want to go and you have to have an adult there doesn't really benefit the child as much as I think it might. Have you seen any other extreme benefits or has it been sort of a wash in your eyes too? Well, I mean, the focus really has been partially downtown. So, you know, we do have um, new park infrastructure going in downtown and that has been a driver for that. 
Um, there's been a fair bit of conversation around some large scale developments related to having more family friendly housing. Um, I don't know that he's driven that all the time, but he's certainly been supportive of that as has, as has most of council. Um, so the, and the under 12 for free, as much as I wish they could just travel on the buses without having to be 12, um, with an adult with like, I took the bus before I was 12 <laughs> by myself. Um, um, it is a big change. And I mean, a number of my friends actually campaigned to get the family pass um, instated a number of years ago. It is for my family because all my children are now over 12. Substantially cheaper for me to park downtown with my van than it is for us to all take the bus, which is, you know, really silly when we live 10 minutes from downtown. Wow. What a boon free transit might be. We're going to move on to another big topic that dominated City Hall, uh, did dominate City Hall. As I mentioned last week, I was supposed to be talking with the mayor on Monday about free transit and lower transit fares, but you people, you did your democratic due diligence and showed up to speak to council. Good for you guys. And the 180 <laughs> speakers caused overflow meetings. That was some of the stuff that we heard this week. We had tons and tons of speakers, a lot of them from Thrive, Yeg, mm -hmm. which Julie Kusiak is a great organization that she sort of founded and spearheaded. Yeah. So we saw, heard from a lot of people about what was the big resounding commentary. I was super excited when Julie started Thrive Yeg because the narrative, you know, dominated by Prosperity Edmonton has been... On this podcast, we call them Austerity Edmonton. Thank okay. you. Yes, yeah. Austerity Edmonton is accurate. Um, it really is that property taxes have been going up too fast and we need to we need to rein in taxes and without a lot of thought about what taxes actually mean and and that's been a narrative in through sort of neoliberal economics for the last 40 plus years is you know as soon as you say the word taxes everyone you know everyone's wallets shrivel up right but the reality is is that we get massive value for our taxes and we could get more value for our taxes and really it's about an investment in our city and in our communities and so the common thread for me through all of the work that Julie's done and all of the people who wrote in and including me um, and many, many other people I know, is that we need to invest in the places where we want to thrive as a city. And that doesn't mean that we make irresponsible decisions, but it does mean we need to think twice about the long-term implications of where we're putting money or not putting money. And a lot of the comments were about things like taking care of homelessness, about the trail system, about bicycle infrastructure, about the pools, um, about the low, the, the passes for low income people to rec centers, a lot of services that people rely on to make life, you know, not just tolerable or survivable in our city, but make it a great place to live. And Edmonton's a really great place to live and we're lucky to be here. And so, you know, it doesn't mean that we aren't dealing with a tough budget, but too quickly, we just, you know, focus our energy on large projects and our money on large projects and a lot of these small investments that really enhance livability are the places where we cut because they're smaller light items but in the long run that costs us i mean we've got a billion for the yellowhead and a couple hundred million for twilliger on the books there's no debate about those ones but scona pool which is a million dollars tops less than that we had teens filling council chambers who were swimming and said look scona pool or roly miles are very important to us. Mm -hmm. And that basically hits on all the topics we have 
child-friendly Edmonton. Mm-hmm. You have this is something that you know students at Scona and the people in the Queen Alex neighborhood they all use this amenity, and it's unfunded in budget. And this isn't the first time the community has fought for. Uh, I I'd mentioned before Friends of Scona Rec is a long-standing organization that has fought for this facility and fought for a new facility on the Royal Lee Miles Park. I think probably the pools aren't going to close. There, It's a, a million and a half dollars. I think council has realized there's no political upside to going forward with this. But it does highlight sort of the mixed priorities of the city of Edmonton, especially around budget season. A city's policy documents are only as good as what's funded in the budget. Exactly. That's actually, I've, I've said this many times at city council, the quote from Brent Tadarian, which is that the city's values are in their budget, not in their value documents. <laughs> and while we're doing, we're doing budget and then we're also doing city plan. And, and, and I really hope that through the city plan process, we can actually weave together the economics um, in a more fulsome way. Um, but, but yeah, the Raleigh miles piece, I mean, you know, Scona Pool. I went to Scona. It was an old pool when I went to Scona, and I've been around the block a few times. And um, and yeah, they have fought on and off for years. What I found, I mean, you guys talked about the engagement piece, so I won't get into that too much. But what's frustrating is that we do this incredible job doing engagement with community, building relationships, creating these visions. You know, d- done with East Glen, done with Raleigh Miles. I'm sure it's been done with Oliver and so many other projects like that. And then a different part of the city comes up with some idea by themselves. Um, we don't really know even who the service review committee is, right? And it's secret it's panelists. It's all secret. And just torpedo these relationships. And like the all the rest of it aside, there's these really important relationships that have been built and there's really important plans that have like all this capacity and energy that's gone into it. Tons of resources on behalf of community as well as the city going into it. And so it's a massive waste. And then it feels like a betrayal um, and rightfully so. And and I just think one of the pieces I'm interested in from an engagement perspective is, you know, as the initiative continues to move forward, is how different parts of the city can start to understand the relationships that they're building in community and the conversations that they're having so that instead of working at cross purposes, they can actually start you know, finding even efficiencies and synergies, you know, I hate, I know that's a really tech, like silly word, um, but, but, you know, places where connecting actually, you know, brings better ideas together and probably even saves money and resources and all of those other things. So um, at this point, I think, yeah, politically, it's really silly to close three core neighborhood pools um, when we're also, you know, the conversations around density are really, really challenging. I have a lot of these conversations in community. I support a lot of people in community as they navigate rezoning applications and increased density in their communities. It's their homes that are changing. And that's really, really scary. And one of the things that we need, I mean, what I love is that we can now talk about child friendly. I mean, I have talked a lot about bringing families back into these neighborhoods, um, as a piece of this and the, and that resonates, but we, if we don't have the amenities, we are not going to get the benefits of density. And in the meantime, the amenities are part of why people are there in the first place and part of why they've stayed. And one of the ways that we can help sort of deal with the trade-offs of, um, substantial, substantial construction, substantial changes in the built form, um, and a lot of new neighbors moving in. When you go to any infill discussion, you'll 
guaranteed have a couple 85 year olds that'll complain about traffic and parking that it's Edmonton. What about the parking? But if you have your rec center in Lewis farms that you're building for $300 million and you close the local community ones, those people have to get in a car and they have to own a car and they have to park the car on the street because their garage is full of junk. They're not going to park in their garage. Come on. This is a mature neighborhood. (laughs) Uh, And it's just compounding problems when we're exacerbating symptoms that really are prohibiting us from really growing our city. I did some calculations that Francisco and the rec were using. Um, I don't know where they showed up in their budget uh, presentations because I wasn't able to be there, but um, around just the tax uplift for the proposed development in basically the catchment area for um, for the pool. And just the stuff we know about has a tax uplift of about, of about $10 million a year. That's the reason we're densifying is there's an economic reason why we need to do this. Um, small amounts of money to do the design and planning work, which is what the community is asking for. They're not saying build the whole thing in this budget. They're just saying, let's keep moving forward. Let's do the design. Let's do the plan. Let's continue to commit to this project. And in the meantime, don't close the pool. Really unreasonable request from the community right there. We're going to move on to, hey, Edmonton parking. Just think of the parking. There was a report that came out this week that, um, The parking revenue for downtown Edmonton just hasn't panned out. Uh, So we financed, love it or hate it, we financed the building of Rogers Place. And there's about an $8 million outstanding mortgage on the property. And one of the ways we were going to pay that off was increased parking funding. The city report came out this week that said uh, we're falling about $2.5 million short of our projections each year. And um, there were some interesting uh, speculations as to what caused that. Uh, One of them in the report that John D. Ward 3, our ever-loving friend of the podcast, uh, really latched onto was bike lanes. Um, Because there has been a slight and very... Very slight. Very slight. There was, before the bike lanes got put in, the roads with bike lanes on them had about 700 total parking stalls that's been reduced by about 130 and this is only on the roads where the bike lanes are so we're talking a very very small percentage of the total downtown parking spaces available on the streets are on bike lane routes and might have been removed but the end result of this is we have basically we're going to pull out of the community revitalization levy 45.6 million dollars up to 2030 so 2.5 million dollars a year until 2036 to pay off Roger's place because of parking. I was just kind of flabbergasted that moving this massive entertainment district downtown so that people could get there not with their cars was going to be funded by their cars. Um, <laughs> it's the Edmonton way. I. It's not really how I'm supposed to have to pay my mortgage. <laughs> I don't know why this was seen as a good decision at the time. Um, I mean, in the larger topic of parking, uh, I just saw, I think Jennifer Kismet posted something about how, you know, most American, North American cities have at least four parking spots for every car. Um, just like with roads, we plan for parking for the maximum usage, not the everyday usage. Um, you know, if we were to plan our meals like every day was Christmas Day, um, we'd have a major health crisis on our hands, even worse than we do. So it does speak to the fact that if we are not thinking about our values 
when we are making these decisions and our where our bigger picture, how we want to grow our city, um, sometimes we're making really short-sighted decisions. Well, and speaking of short-sighted decisions, I have to assume that at some point, council didn't know that we were paying for the mortgage via downtown parking fees. Because in the interim, we've approved a big gravel parking lot just north of Rogers Place. The parkade in Rogers Place brought on a thousand stalls this year. It's going to bring in another thousand next year. We are constantly adding a glut of parking. All the while, we see our city hall parkade and our library parkades running empty. So we know that there's an oversupply of parking. We voted to bring more online, knowing that it's going to run us short on the mortgage. I have to assume this is just like one hand is not talking to the other hand. The big unfortunate part is the community revitalization levy is there to revitalize the community Mm -hmm. and things like Imagine Jasper Ave and future bike network enhancements. Mm -hmm. All of these were potentially to be funded. And now there's $45 million less to fund revitalizations in downtown. We'll move on quickly because we're talking about revitalization downtown and a certain National Post uh, reporter didn't think that downtown was doing so well with revitalization this week. Tristan Hooper, uh, in his endless tweet, he was basically tweeting for a solid 12 hours overnight about safe injection sites and why they're causing harm in the community. It's a harm reduction strategy, and he had a pretty eloquent way of putting it. Conflating harm with harm reduction? I don't know. I don't know that it was eloquent, but um, I have empathy for finding needles on your lawn. I've been finding needles in my own neighborhood for 15 years. My kids have found needles. They found condoms. Um, and I'm in Strathcona. So I have a lot of empathy, and, there, and there's a lot of fear there. The problem is, is that then when you attack people, that doesn't actually solve the problem. And the safe injection sites are the places where people go and they inject safely and there's proper needle disposal. So whoever is leaving the needles around is not attending the safe injection site. Do we need more of them? Yes. Do we need them in different parts of the city? Yes. But they are part of a harm reduction strategy that reduces harm for the addicts themselves. We know it's like, oh, I can't remember, over a thousand um, people's lives have been saved since we opened these. Um, and that's huge. There's been 300 Albertans just this year that have died from opioid overdoses. So like it is a critical harm actively on our doorsteps. I believe it was Councillor Knack jumped in on Twitter and set Tristan straight in some regards. But this is not the be all end all solution. Mm-hmm. This is a stopgap to combat a public health crisis that doesn't really get the urgency that it deserves. Like people are dying en masse in Alberta from this issue. It's traumatic. I mean, the, we are people are losing their lives. People of all ages and stages from all different walks of life are losing their lives because of this. And their families are impacted and their workplaces are impacted and our healthcare system is impacted. Um, to And then, I mean, yeah, to suggest that we should have vigilantes going after addicts to like clean up the streets. Like, I, I, I understand the fear and the anger when you worry that your kids are under threat but the solution to that is to work with your community to figure out how to make it better and yeah it's one piece of the puzzle but it's not just harm reduction for the addicts it's also harm reduction for our neighborhoods and our communities that's all we've got time for this week uh of course i saved time because this is a podcast and troy likes to eat i saved time for an ad we are alberta is a podcast produced by atb financial that explores alberta's history and hidden treasures it is hosted by economist nick ford traveling the province to uncover stories and the characters who make alberta what it is it's really an incredible story about 
It's really an incredible podcast about stories around Alberta, discovering what being an Albertan is all about, uh, from the oil fields to cannabis oil, all sorts of things. You can find it on iTunes, Google Play, anywhere podcasts are sold. While you're subscribing to that podcast, make sure you're subscribed to this one on anywhere that podcasts are sold, including Spotify. Check out We Are Alberta at atv.com slash We Are Alberta. And that's all we have time for this week. Kirsten Goa, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. It was a blast. Yeah, I, we will try to have you back again. Uh, God, I try to kick Matt out whenever I can, but, you know, he <laughs> keeps coming over. Um, where can people find you if they want to learn more about you, follow your tweets? Well, on Twitter, I'm at Kirsten Goa, K-I-R-S-T-E-N-G-O-A. And we'll have that link in the show notes as well. And... I mean, you, you're not one and done. You didn't run for city council and said, hey, I lost, I'm out. You've still been an active community activist, just like you were before and continue to do so after. And, you know, just like you were defending the uh, safe injection site and Tristan Hooper fiasco last night. <laughs> Thanks. Sight to see. Thanks for joining <laughs> us. And that's all for this week. Until next week, I'm Troy. I'm Kirsten, but not Mac. And we're speaking, speaking municipally. municipally. <laughs> we'll practice that one. <laughs>